The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of the Court TV podcast, an audio replay of a show we premiered on Court TV called I Can't Breathe, a Court TV special. I Can't Breathe are the words George Floyd repeatedly said during a confrontation with four Minneapolis police officers resulting in Floyd's death, and those four officers now facing criminal charges. Using interviews with family and friends, you'll learn about George Floyd's life and the men charged with his death. The special also goes into great detail about Floyd's encounter with the police that day, which can be quite harrowing to hear. So please keep that in mind. Have a listen. What I seen with my eyes was murder. Due to compression of the neck and of the back. Okay, breathe. My brother is compassionate. Wow, stop moving. My brother's gone. But the Floyd name still lives on. Welcome to I Can't Breathe, George Floyd, a Court TV special. I'm Michael Ayala. The video of George Floyd's final moments, now etched in the minds of us all, triggered unprecedented reaction around the world. Now our system of criminal justice, which many believe has failed African Americans, will decide the guilt and possible punishment for the former police officers on trial for Floyd's death. We begin the hour not in Minneapolis, where George Floyd died, but rather where he did most of his 46 years of living, in Houston, Texas. Here's Court TV legal correspondent Julia Janet. Just south of the Houston skyline is the city's historic third ward, a mix of modest homes and businesses. There's also a housing project here, built in the 1930s, named the CUNY Homes. CUNY Homes is one of the projects in Houston and uh, it's been around for decades. It's a tight-knit community. Pretty much everybody would know each other. Growing up in my era, CUNY Homes, uh, if you didn't know nobody, you couldn't even walk through the CUNY Homes. Uh, I mean, it, it was pretty rough. It's, it's, it was a housing project with a lot of kids with a lot of aspirations. One of those kids with high aspirations was George Perry Floyd Jr., known in the Third Ward simply as Big Floyd. Floyd didn't mind giving me the shirt off his back. You know, uh, he was a gentle giant, as we, you know, we called him. You know, and uh, he was he was definitely uh, that guy that you would want to be his friend. He's a good kid, good kid. I can't, you know, you know, we all went through some struggles going through what we went through coming up in the projects. You know, you wake up in the middle of the night, you know what I'm saying, you're a gunshot. Travis Keynes, known here in the Third Ward as Muggsy, says people started to take notice of George Floyd when he was just a kid. An aura about him, you know what I mean? Like, we always knew it would be something that he would make history. 
basketball or football is how most thought George Floyd would become famous. He was a gifted athlete, and by middle school, he was already standing more than six feet tall. Floyd, at all, he, he has always been tall. You know, he just didn't have, you know, he has some kids that have a growth spurt, but Floyd had always been tall. You know, many people thought he would make it to the NBA and may, you know, have a, a future in professional sports. George Floyd was the oldest of five children growing up in a single-parent home. His mother, Larsenia, was known as Miss Sissy. Miss Sissy was the beautiful woman that you ever wanted to meet. That lady that you have in the neighborhood that you could go and get a plate to eat. You could spend the night, you know what I'm saying? You could talk, she'd teach you. She just had a gentle heart. She's a great person. By the ninth grade, as predicted, George Floyd had developed into a star athlete here at Jack Yates High School. That football team and those basketball teams are, are very, very important to Jack Yates High School as far as tradition and history is concerned, and uh, so he was a major part of both. In 1992, George Floyd helped lead Yates to the state championship game in football. But it was basketball that provided an opportunity to leave the Third Ward, a scholarship to South Florida State College. I mean, it was a big deal. Uh, you have to think about all the, the younger kids that uh, looked up to Floyd and Kenny Holmes. So, you know, Floyd being this, this big-time uh, high school football player, uh, going to college was, was a big deal. But after two years in Florida, Floyd transferred to Texas A&M University in Kingsville, leaving there without a degree and returning to the Third Ward. He had to move in closer to home, you know, to help his mom. Uh, so, you know, his, his, his dreams was semi-shattered. The next several years were difficult ones for George Floyd. There was short-lived interest in becoming a rapper. Floyd was on a few tapes. Uh, Floyd got recognized by it, and uh, that's how, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of outsiders, you know, found out who Big Floyd was. But like professional sports, music wasn't going to work out for George Floyd. And between 1997 and 2005, he would find himself in and out of jail for minor drug offenses and theft. Then in 2007, he was sentenced to five years in prison for armed robbery. After his release, friends say he decided to turn his life around. Floyd would help his mother recover from a stroke and started working with Resurrection Houston, a Christian group that held outdoor services in the Third Ward. Big Floyd was uh, a gatekeeper in Third Ward in the CUNY Homes Project, and I owe much of my ministry to him opening doors that I could not open. You hear some of the stories of how uh, he would drag the uh, tub onto the field doing uh, their service on Sunday so people can baptize. That's something special. He also had someone new come into his life, a baby daughter named Gianna. We got pregnant with Gianna and it changed his life. You know, because he got a chance to be there, and I was a high-risk pregnancy with Gianna, so we stayed in and out the hospital a lot, but he never left my side. Then in 2014, George Floyd left Houston for Minneapolis, Minnesota. He was uh, trying to better his life, you know, which is why he moved away from Houston to, uh, to go up there. You know, he was looking for opportunity. 
One of the first people Floyd met in Minneapolis was radio personality Nikki Love, who offered him a job working in security. I felt a lot of energy. He was serious about it. He told me he came from Texas to get his life together. He was focusing on his, himself, trying to get his life together so he could be a better father. According to friends, Floyd was thriving in Minnesota. He trained to become a truck driver and was working regularly as a nightclub security guard. Great guy, big smile. Um, he liked to, to chat with the ladies and very charismatic. Here's George Floyd in a social media post talking about working out and getting his life together. So big Floyd, man, say, man, I'm back at it, man. Workout game, getting back on up, man, you know. I went through some things, man, I had to bounce back, man. I'm just sharing right now. You know what I'm saying? Then in 2018, Floyd's mother, Miss Sissy, passed away in Houston. He was devastated. It was bad. It, it, it was rough on him. You know, it was so rough to where it is. You know, I, I talked to him. I told him, like, hey, you, you got to uh, snap back and get yourself back together, man. And keep working on your, your, your treatment and doing right up there. Don't stay here. Go ahead and go back and get your life together. After laying his mother to rest, George Floyd decided to return to Minneapolis, leaving Houston for the last time. It's just after 8 p.m. on Monday, May 25th, 2020, Memorial Day. Minneapolis police officers Thomas Lane and J. Alexander King are responding to a call at a convenience store named Cup Foods. An employee reported that a man under the influence used a counterfeit $20 bill to buy cigarettes. It's Officer Lane and King's first week on the job. As the officers walk into the store, a manager is there, waiting, holding the alleged fake $20 bill. Fake bill from the I hope this is the driver in there. Inside the vehicle is George Floyd on the driver's side. Maurice Lester Hall is in the passenger seat. As the officers approach the vehicle, Officer King goes to the passenger side while Officer Lane confronts the driver, George Floyd. You see your hands. Floyd doesn't immediately comply with Lane's commands. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm Let sorry. me see your other hand. Please, please, please. Both hands. Keeping his right hand down, which prompts the officer to draw his gun. And I said, let me see your other hand. And I directed him, let me see your other hand. Um, he didn't do that, so I took my gun out and, you know, and I said, let me see your, your other hand. Put your hand up. Put your hand up, ass. Keep your hands on the wheel. Keep your hands on the wheel. Put your hands on top of your head. Once Floyd's hands are on his head, Lane puts his gun away. Floyd, meanwhile, is clearly upset. Step out of the vehicle and step away from me, all right? Step out and face away. Step out and face away. Please don't shoot me. Please, man. I'm not going to shoot you. Step out and face away. I'm going to get out of here, man. Please don't shoot me, man. I'm shooting you, man. I just lost my mom, man. Step out and face away. Officer King comes over to help put handcuffs on George Floyd. You got an ID on you? I got one at home. All right, what's your name? George. George? George, period, Floyd. 
I don't know what's going. I don't want no problems. I ain't even do nothing. Man, you know why we're here? Why? We're here because it sounds like you gave a fake bill to the individuals in there. Yeah. You understand that? Yes. And you know why we pulled you out of the car? Because you was not listening to anything we told you. Right. I didn't know what was going on. You listened to us and we will tell you what's going the on. The decision is then made to put Floyd in the back of Lane and King's patrol vehicle, which is across the street. An officer with the park police has also just arrived, parking behind the SUV. Are you on something right now? No, nothing. Because you acting real erratic. Man, I'm scared, man. After walking Floyd to the street, they arrive at the police vehicle when Floyd drops to the ground. Stand up. Stay on your feet and face the car door. At this point, officers frisk Floyd. King finds a pipe in his sweatpants and hands it to Lane, who puts it on top of the vehicle. He appeared that he was on drugs, something just based on his agitation level. And, you know, he was saying, like, ah, everything, you know, arms hurt or something. Did you ask him if he was on? I asked him, yeah. What did uh, say? Um, I, don't think he, I don't think he said anything. Floyd is pleading for them not to put him inside, claiming he's claustrophobic. Man, y'all don't believe me. I was Take a, a seat. I'm not the kind of guy. I'm not the kind of guy, man. Take a seat. Yo, I was dying here. Take a seat. A man standing on the sidewalk tells Floyd he isn't going to win and should get into the car. I don't want to try to win. I don't want to win. I don't want to win. I'm just a bully. You ain't gonna win. I'm just a bully. I got anxiety. I don't want to do nothing to this. Man, I'm scared. Man, you made a mistake. When I start breathing, when I breathing, it's gonna go off on me, man. Okay, okay, okay. Let me count the three. Let me count the three. I'm going in. Please. Officers Tutau and Derek Chauvin have arrived at this point and are walking over. Resist and refuse to voluntarily. Sit in the squad car. I was going to go around and try and pull his arm through the other side of the squad just to get him in there. So I was trying to pull him through, and then he started pushing with me, and he kind of came out the other side. Eventually, the decision is made to put George Floyd on the ground and restrain him there until the ambulance arrives. This is the moment when the now symbolic eight minutes and 46 seconds begins. George Floyd is being restrained on the pavement on Chicago Street in Minneapolis. Three Minneapolis police officers are holding Floyd down. Officer Thomas Lane is at Floyd's feet. Officer Jay Alexander King is holding his midsection. And Officer Derek Chauvin has his knee on George Floyd's neck. Officer Tutau is also there standing next to, but not touching, George Floyd. As we put him down, he's still struggling, kind of uh, trying to get up and, and just not relaxing at all. The three officers on the ground were getting tired. Everyone's breathing hard. So uh, I decided let's grab a hobble. I ended up finding uh, a hobble, a pair of bag and I think I handed it to one of the officers. The hobble, which is a restraint strap, ultimately wasn't used. Had it been, Officer Chauvin's knee would have been removed from George Floyd's neck. Since the ambulance is already on the way, we decided to forego the, the uh, 
the hub. Oh, I can't breathe, man. Please. Please let me stay in. No, please, man, I can't breathe. George Floyd has been on the ground for roughly a minute and 15 seconds when Officer Lane suggests moving him for the first time. My face did a bad. George Floyd repeatedly asks for help. He says, I can't breathe more than 20 times. At one point, the officers respond to Floyd, essentially telling him if he can talk, he can breathe. Relax. I can breathe. You're talking. Deep breath. I can breathe. I can breathe. At about this time, the man who'd been encouraging George Floyd earlier to stop struggling starts in again, telling Floyd to get in the car. Get up, get in the car, man. I will. Get up, get in the car. I can't move. At nearly the three-minute mark, George Floyd's pleas are getting softer in volume and more dire in nature, eventually saying, Right about now, a man named Donald Williams, who was on his way into the Cup Foods convenience store, comes over to see what's going on. Once I approached the the, the store, I, I seen uh, three uh, squad cars outside the store. You know, I didn't really think too much of it. You know, my spirit just like kind of stopped me. It was like. Maybe you shouldn't walk in the store. Maybe you should actually go over there and see what's going on. George Floyd was uh, actually, you know, panting for his life. I cannot breathe. You know, begging for, you know, his forgiveness. Like, I'm pretty much saying he's sorry. He's going to do the right things. He want to get up. His his uh, stomach's hurting. Uh, he can't breathe. You know how long I fought with him? This is why you don't do drugs, kids. You have your knee in him and you have handcuffs on him. He is detained at this moment. Officer Todd proceeds to say, well, this is what drugs do to you. And, you know, um, that's not what drugs do to you. Drugs don't get you killed, you know, by cops. At about the four and a half minute mark, as Donald Williams and others are arguing with Officer Tao, Officer Lane again suggests they move Floyd by rolling him onto his side. Then George Floyd, who had been talking during the entire encounter, is suddenly silent. As the crowd becomes more and more anxious, the officers seem to be getting more relaxed, with George Floyd now silent and motionless. Yeah, I mean, my knee might be a little scratched, but I'll survive. Then, after six minutes, an off-duty Minneapolis firefighter arrives. She joins Donald Williams. Both are getting extremely angry, pleading with officers to check George Floyd's pulse. Look at him. He's not responsive right now, bro. Bro, are you serious? He's on the 
Despite the fact that Floyd is still motionless, Officer Chauvin's knee remains on his neck. I told him it was a blood choke. He knew it was a blood choke. He looked at me when I said it. He put his head down. He did not make any more gestures. He did not say any other thing. Watch as Officer King checks for a pulse on Floyd's wrist. Let me see a pulse. Is he breathing right now? Check his pulse. Check his pulse. It's now Check been nearly seven minutes since Derek Chauvin placed his knee on George Floyd's neck. The crowd continues to plead with officers to let go of Floyd and check his condition. Then at eight minutes and 30 seconds, an EMT arrives. Chauvin takes his knee off of Floyd's neck, but keeps it on his back. Just like I'm going to hear my man say this, I can't breathe, I want my mama. And I'm coming to find out that this man died two years of the day that his mom died. I'm a mama's boy, bro. George Floyd's body is loaded onto a stretcher and into the ambulance. He was pronounced dead at 9.19 p.m. at a Minneapolis hospital. Coming up, the reaction. We will get justice for George Floyd! Then later, the case against the officers. I sincerely hope the, the, the prosecutors and the jury can see my brother for who he is. They can look at the facts um, and not uh, a narrative that's been created. When I Can't Breathe, George Floyd, a Court TV special, returns. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel -gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. Within hours of George Floyd's death, the cell phone video recorded at the scene was posted and going viral. There was outrage worldwide. But back in Houston's third ward, and for George Floyd's family and close friends, there was also heartbreak. Once again, here's Court TV legal correspondent, Julia Jeanette. For those that knew and loved him, watching George Floyd's final minutes on cell phone video was devastating. I'm never gonna get my brother back. <laughs> Kind of broken down. That there's something that you wouldn't want your worst enemy to feel. No matter what, I wouldn't. Well, you got him down, man. Let him breathe, at least, man. I can breathe. I've been trying to hear about so you can breathe with You see the images in the video, and you just like, oh my God, this is this can't be real. This is like this can't be, this can't be happening. You know, not not him. You know, someone that that's that wouldn't harm a fly. I can't breathe. Please leave my dick. I can't breathe. Uh -huh. Bro, get up, get in the car, man. I will. Get up, get in the car. I can't move. It was very, very um, uh, how can I say, piercing to see what happened. You know, uh, that a human being is being treated like that. My knee. You can't breathe, man. I'm through. 
I know you is, nigga. You listen. It's really hard when you see one of your people getting killed. It's not like he was in the streets or somewhere else or somebody killed him. So yes, now we actually looked at him. That's what the impact is. That's that's, that's bad, and that hurts because that's somebody that I love. Yeah, that hurts. George Floyd's six-year-old daughter, Gianna, knew something was wrong after hearing her father's name on television. She was standing by the door and she said, um, Mama, something going on with my family. And I say, why you say that? She said, because I hear them saying my daddy's name on TV. She wanted to know how he died. And the only thing that I can tell is he couldn't breathe. And so she said, you know what? I'm ready to go to heaven because I want to be with my daddy. Little Gianna would capture the world's attention in this video, sitting on the shoulders of her father's friend, former professional basketball player Stephen Jackson. Oh man, it was emotional. I just, I just want to lift her spirits. I want her next days to be her best days, and that's all I really I care about, man. Uh, Gigi's a sweet soul. She loved her daddy. She's a, definitely a daddy's girl. He was just the most gentle, most loving, most giving person you you could meet the reaction to george floyd's death sent people into the streets first in minneapolis then in cities around the world many of the protests were peaceful others were violent widespread looting and vandalism left businesses in shambles and local leaders scrambling to maintain order i know that there is currently a deficit of hope in our city and as I wear this uniform before you, I know that uh, this department has contributed to that deficit of hope. I love Minneapolis. We must restore the peace. For George Floyd's family and close friends, watching the worldwide reaction was both comforting and concerning. In Iran, every, every place you can name, Somalia, uh, France, the Netherlands, I've been getting pictures from everywhere in support of justice for my brother George Floyd. So it, it has been amazing. We want people to protest, but just do it peacefully um, and in a way that, you know, we're not hurting other people. We don't want to see destruction and chaos. That's not going to get what we want. What they wanted at the time was the arrests of all four officers, especially Derek Chauvin. This officer had his hands in his pocket. He had his hands in his pocket. And at some point on that video, you could see him adjusting his knee on Floyd's neck. Like, I got to make sure that I'm in the right spot. Him being so bold doing it, not caring who's taping, not listening to anyone that's right there on the scene. Check his pulse. Okay. Check his pulse, Kyle. Kyle, check his pulse. That is murder. That's murder. The officer uh, who has been identified as Derek Chauvin has been taken into custody by the BCA. By June 3rd, eight days after George Floyd's death, all four officers had been arrested. The next day, George Floyd was honored at a memorial service in Minneapolis. George Floyd should not be 
among the deceased. He died of a common American criminal justice malfunction. Around the world, there were memorials, vigils, and tributes to George Floyd. Back in the Third Ward, people gathered on the football field at Jack Yates High School to remember one of their own, Big Floyd. It was just a real special moment because it's almost as if we felt his presence amongst us, remembering him. From Minneapolis, Floyd's body was taken to his birth state of North Carolina. Then on June 9th, George Floyd was laid to rest in Houston. That's Big Floyd. Everybody know who Big Floyd is now. Third Ward, CUNY Homes, that's where we was born at, but we're gonna be remembered, everybody going to remember him around the world. He's going to change the world. Of the four former Minneapolis police officers charged in the death of George Floyd, Derek Chauvin has the most seniority and the most troubling past. Chauvin was 44 years old at the time of Floyd's death, with 19 years on the Minneapolis police force. He had 18 complaints filed against him, with three of them resulting in verbal reprimands. He was known to be a problem officer, and despite this, the Minneapolis police used him as a training officer. So he not only was harming the community, but he was spreading his harm by teaching other officers to harm the community. Derek Chauvin grew up in Cottage Grove, Minnesota, 10 miles south of St. Paul. He spent time in the Army and attended Inverhills Community College before joining the Minneapolis Police Department in 2001. Ten years later, he married his wife, Kelly. I'm Derek Chauvin, and my outstanding wife is Kelly Chauvin, Mrs. Oakdale, Minnesota. This is video from the 2018 Mrs. Minnesota pageant. Chauvin is on stage with his wife and has an awkward exchange with the host about doing crunches in the gym. No one's the point where people have come to stop to stare. At the time, less than two years before George Floyd's death, this is how Kelly Chauvin described her husband to the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Under all that uniform, he's just a softy. He's such a gentleman. He still opens the door for me, still puts my coat on for me. After my divorce, I had a list of must-haves if I were ever to be in a relationship, and he fit all of them. But the day after Derek Chauvin was taken into custody, Kelly Chauvin filed for divorce, citing an irretrievable breakdown of the marriage relationship. Some believe the divorce was a ploy to protect assets. In fact, citing potential fraud, a judge rejected the couple's proposed settlement. What the judge found in this case was that, well, things just didn't look right because everything went to the wife. Hardly anything was left in his hands. It just didn't pass the smell test. Chauvin made extra money working security at El Nuevo Rodeo nightclub, where, ironically, George Floyd also worked. There's no indication that they knew each other or if they did that they made the connection when Chauvin had his knee on Floyd's neck. Club owner Maya Santa Maria knew them both well. Chauvin, we all know, has had a little bit of past with his temper and feeling uh, maybe, uh, you know, afraid when he's around African-American men. Uh, but he wasn't the worst our city has. He wasn't the best. Um, unfortunately, he all of his bad demons came out that day. And... 
While the video of Chauvin's knee on George Floyd's neck is powerful evidence, convicting a cop can be difficult. When jurors walk into a courtroom, they don't look at a defendant and say he's probably innocent. With police officers, they always have. They've really given police officers the presumption of innocence. In a motion to dismiss, Chauvin's attorney argues that the knee on George Floyd's neck was simply part of a restraint technique taught by the Minneapolis Police Department. This Minneapolis PD training video shows a similar move, but notice the knee is on the back, not neck. But this image from a department manual shows what appears to be a very similar neck restraint. At the time, it was a permissible move. There was nothing illegal. No statute or state law said you cannot do that. According to the Hennepin County Medical Examiner's autopsy report, George Floyd died of cardiopulmonary arrest, complicating law enforcement subdual, restraint, and neck compression, meaning he died of heart failure caused by the restraint put on him by law enforcement. Forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Bodden did his own analysis and found that Floyd died of asphyxia. On the basis of all the information available, the cause of death is what was seen at the time of the death. As he couldn't breathe, asphyxia due to compression of the neck and of the back, and that's homicidal. Cause of death is expected to be challenged at trial. Chauvin's attorney included copies of these handwritten investigator notes in a motion to dismiss, showing that the medical examiner told investigators that George Floyd had a level of 11 nanograms per milliliter of fentanyl in his system when he died. According to the notes, the medical examiner told investigators deaths have been certified at levels of three. Chauvin's defense also included this freeze frame from Thomas Lane's body cam, maintaining that it appears to show a pill in Floyd's mouth. They're trying to claim some asinine theory about an overdose. I want to be clear about this. The only overdose that killed George Floyd was an overdose of excessive force and racism by the Minnesota Indianapolis Police Department. There's a lethal dose of fentanyl in this man's blood. It's relevant. It makes him far more vulnerable to whatever happens to him once he has that drug in his system. The defense also believes the fact that George Floyd tested positive for COVID is relevant. The state's going to try to say, look, yes, he had drugs. Yes, he had COVID. Yes, he wasn't in the best health, but he was alive until that knee was on his neck. So that was a substantial causal factor. That's how hard it's going to be for this jury to decide. Up next, the three other officers. My brother is compassionate. He's caring, and he really genuinely cares about other people. Is there enough evidence to convict? Well, we want conviction. In our minds, this can be uh, a big step in fixing things and getting justice for black people. If justice is not served, it's going to be real, real bad. When I Can't Breathe, George Floyd, a Court TV special, returns. 
Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. Former Minneapolis police officers Tutau, Jay Alexander King, and Thomas Lane face aiding and abetting charges for both second-degree murder and manslaughter. Officer Tutau never actually touched George Floyd. Tao was an eight-year veteran of the force when Floyd died in custody. During his time as an officer, there were six formal complaints lodged against him. He was also the subject of an excessive force lawsuit, which ended up settling for $25,000. Check his paws, Tao. Tao, check his paws. Tao, check his paws, bro. Prosecutors allege Tao not only didn't step in to stop what was happening, but prevented others from intervening. Tao told investigators that while George Floyd was being restrained, he was concentrating on protecting the other officers from traffic and the crowd. The rest of the time, I'm just kind of focusing on traffic and, and the crowd. That's what I felt my job was at the time is crowd control and make sure my guys don't get run over. Um, as the crowd is starting to grow and uh, become loud and hostile for this, I decided that uh, to forego traffic and put myself in between the crowd and the officers. Next to Derek Chauvin was Jay Alexander King. Then next to him, Thomas Lane, who was holding George Floyd's feet. Both King and Lane had been on the job for less than a week. Derek Chauvin actually served as one of King's training officers. According to family members, Alexander King's motivation to join the police force was to help close the divide between law enforcement and the African-American community. His father is black. His mother, who's white, told the New York Times that's part of the reason why he wanted to become a police officer and a black police officer on top of it is to bridge that gap in the community change the narrative between the officers and the black community. Shortly after King was released on bail, he was confronted in a grocery store. It is you, mm -hmm. so you're out of prison, yeah. and you're comfortably shopping in Cub Foods, as if you didn't do anything. I'm not, well, I wouldn't call it comfortably, I'd just say getting necessities or helping. Do you, I don't think you should have that right, I don't even think you should be out on bail. I can understand. I mean, how does it feel? I'm sorry you feel that way. No, you're not sorry. Um, I'm Taylor. Taylor King, I am the sibling of uh, one of the four officers involved in the murder of George Floyd. King's sister Taylor appeared in this NAACP video. All four of these officers failed George Floyd. King's other sister, Radiance, told the New York Times, I don't care if it was his third day at work or not, he knows right from wrong. The inexperience of both Alexander King and Thomas Lane is expected to be part of the defense strategy for both at trial. The fact that these are brand new officers, that they're subservient to Chauvin, they have every right to believe that Chauvin knows more than they do about what's proper procedure. I think that impacts their state of mind, and their state of mind is one of the elements that the state has to prove in order to convict them. Obviously, he's been in some dark places with looking at where he is and what, has, what he has before him. This is Thomas Lane's also, older brother, Jim. What do you think people need to know about your brother? See him as an individual. Um, 
see him as the man that I know him as, as this compassionate person dedicated to service, um, and maybe not um, what he, how he has been, has been portrayed in, in the media and social media. Jim Lane says his brother worked for years to get onto the Minneapolis police force, continuing a family tradition going back four generations. Now, that dream has become a nightmare. It's been absolutely terrifying, um, absolutely terrifying. Every single moment every day has been terrifying. What scares you the most? My, my personal safety, safety of my family members, my, my obviously safety of my brother is number one. That's, that's, that is a very real concern. Jim Lane believes his brother's true character was evident when he suggested rolling George Floyd over. Hold on the side. I just worry about that, the delirium or whatever. There's a culture, a military culture, law enforcement culture, where uh, you don't challenge a senior officer, especially if you're in an exceedingly junior position. Um, and the fact that he would speak up is uh, speak up at all. Uh, I, I sincerely believe is a testament to his idea of service that he wanted to speak up. No matter what transpires in the courtroom, the world will be watching. If justice is not served, it's going to be real real bad, it, 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 it's, it's not going to be something that people, is gonna, uh, people are going to take lightly. We need change, and whatever that means, I hope that America, everyone, will understand that this doesn't need to happen, and whatever we need to do as a, a nation, we should get together and make, make that happen. His name, his death, this movement is serving as a wake-up call for America to realize that there are some issues that have been swept under the rug for so long that need to be addressed. George made the world stop and look at itself in the mirror. Big Floyd, man, say, man, I'm back at it, man. I'm just sharing right now, you know what I'm saying? Because, man, people quick to count you out, man, but just so strict on counting you in, you know? One thing about the old Floyd, man, I love the world. From changes in policing to the creation of scholarships in his name, George Floyd's death has already changed our world in many ways. The four officers accused of causing his death are scheduled to go on trial in Minneapolis later this year. Court TV will continue to cover each and every development in this case like no other network. And our cameras will be in the courtroom providing live gavel-to-gavel -gavel coverage of the trial from jury selection to the verdicts. For now, I'm Court TV anchor Michael Ayala. Thank you for watching. There you have it. I Can't Breathe, a Court TV special. I want to thank all of the Court TV staff who helped put this show together and for sharing it with us on the podcast. If you'd like to see the show, it's available on demand on the Court TV website. Just follow our link in the show notes. That's it for this week, folks. I'm Vinny Politan. I'll see you next week here on the Court TV podcast. Have a great week. And as always, don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.